Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. So, Father, we thank you. But something really special happens when your word and prayer and the Holy Spirit get together. We know there can be an explosion in our hearts, Lord. And we're just asking, Lord, that you would breathe upon these words, Lord, that you would take them off the page, uh, that you would imprint them, Lord, in our hearts and in our spirits. So, Father, we come with expectant hearts. I just pray, Lord, that you would highlight uh, to each one here, Lord, that portion of scripture in Galatians 4 that would speak to them personally in their own walk. So, Lord, we come with an expectant heart to meet you, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, let's take a moment and let's read Galatians chapter 4, and then we will unpack it. Now I say... As long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slave to those which were by nature no gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for also uh, I have become as you. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a body illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily conditions, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is the sense of blessing you have? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it's good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And only when I am present with you, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I am perplexed about you. 
Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it's written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But at that time, he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but are of the free woman. Okay, there we go. Galatians chapter four. Okay, um, I would like to uh, basically look at five different points that really struck me in Galatians chapter four. So let me give you those five, and then we'll, we'll try to look at them. Number one is our great inheritance in Christ. Uh, number two, the idea of the fullness of time. Number three, a son versus a slave mentality. Number four, real love tells the truth. And number five, Christ being formed in us. Okay, those are the, the main points that really strike me. So let's look at our great inheritance. It starts right here uh, in Galatians chapter four. Uh, verses one and two. Paul says this, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers unto the date set by the father. So what I hear Paul saying uh, is as a, a person that is going to inherit something from the parent, uh, the parent is not going to leave a fortune to a, a child or an immature teenager. Uh, that inheritance is going to go when a person grows up and they become mature and when they're an adult. So I think what Paul's saying, even though the inheritance, which is a gigantic thing, is there potentially for even a child. We're not able to handle that inheritance till we mature and grow up. Now, let me give you uh, three verses, I think, that show us the tremendous inheritance that yours and mine, uh, that is innately in ours when we're a child of God. I just want to read three scriptures, um, and you might want to jot them down and, and ponder them, because they show you and me what this amazing inheritance Paul's talking about. In Second Peter, chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3, it says this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Here it is, seeing that his divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining 
to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Okay, here it is. It says, God has granted to us everything, not some things, not a little bit. God's power has granted to you and I, as God's children, everything. I underline the word everything that pertains to life and godliness. In other words, everything you ever could possibly need is found in Jesus. That is your inheritance. Let me give you another verse. Uh, this is in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul makes this prayer. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, here it is, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, get it. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, not a few, not here and there, every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So in Christ, every spiritual blessing is to be found. Any blessing you ever going to need in a lifetime is found in Jesus. And by the way, he lives in you. Let me give you just one more. This is in Luke uh, chapter 15. You know the story of the prodigal son. The one prodigal son goes out, squanders everything. You have the other son who stays at home but has a terrible attitude. And basically, this son that stayed at home makes this statement to the father at the end of the parable. And he says this to the father, look, for many years, I have been a servant to you. And I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be married with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your wealth with harlots and killed the fatted calf for him. And then here's what the father's. And the father said to him, my child, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. Get that. The father's saying this to the son. All that is mine is yours. In other words, that son had an amazing inheritance. He had all that the father had, all the blessings, all the resources, and he never realized it was there. And I think that's a problem for us as Christians. We are so unbelievably blessed, enriched in Christ who lives in us, because everything you will need in this life to have a full, abundant, and satisfying life is found in Christ, and he's in us. That is your inheritance, but it takes time to grow up into that. So I'm on the cutting edge of that, meaning I have not arrived in any way, shape, or form on this. But I know whatever I need, joy, faith, love, peace, patience, wisdom, you name it, it's all found in Jesus who lives in me and who lives in you. So may the Holy Spirit help us. That's all I can say. We are on a treasure chest. On the inside, the Holy Spirit has to illumine that to us. And more and more, I'm seeing it's by simple childlike faith. I need to say, Lord, in you is fill in the blank. Thank you, Lord. I'm appropriating it and taking it now by faith. And then seeing how God makes that real. So take a, a little bit of time and ponder those verses. Second Peter 1, verses 2, 3. Ephesians chapter 1, 3. And then Luke 15, 29 to 31. You are unbelievably rich and may the Holy Spirit 
show that to you and me. Okay, that's number one. Number two, in the fullness of time. So get back to Galatians chapter four uh, and verse four. It says, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law and that we might receive the adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, we have a time issue. I have a time issue. I like things to go quickly, speedily. I don't like things to go very slow. We want it now. We're a microwave society. But it says here, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. So think about it. Adam and Eve, they mess up. They sin big time in the garden. Uh, everything goes down the tubes. So why didn't God immediately send his son into the world, let his son die early on, right off the bat, and get the job done? Why God didn't just, boom, intervene, okay? Adam and Eve fell. Let's get the solution. Let's move on with life. No, no. We're very clear. Thousands of years take place from the fall of Adam and Eve to the coming of Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It wasn't a speedy process because there had to be a preparation in people's heart to be able to receive what God wanted to give. So why did God wait? I think he did because he wanted uh, to show mankind that we have a big problem because you see if you don't know you have a problem you're never going to seek a solution so the first step i believe in salvation is god has to show the human race back there israel but you and i that we really have something that we can't fix we have a big issue so what's the big issue uh it's sin we need to be able to realize we have an issue it's sin we need to realize we've all fallen short of the grace of God. So God prepares the way for that. In the Old Testament, he shows very clearly that he's a God who's holy, a God who's just. He reveals all these commandments. He says, if you want to walk in alignment and fellowship with me, you've got to walk in a certain manner. You need to be holy as I am holy. Well, guess what? The Israelites couldn't do it. They kept breaking the commandments over and over and over and over and over again. And as they began to break the commandments, they began to feel a sense of guilt, a, a sense of shame, a sense of inability to do what God asked them to do. So God takes thousands of years to drive home to the human race. You've got an issue. You've got an issue. It's a sin problem. And guess what? You can't fix it. And neither can we in our generation. But in the Old Testament, not only does God in the fullness of time show them they have a problem of sin, he also shows them that there is a solution to that. And all through the Old Testament, you hear when sin occurs that an animal needs to be killed. It could be a calf, it could be a lamb, uh, it could be a bull, but an animal's blood had to be shed on behalf of the one that sinned. So all through the Old Testament, blood all over, all over, over, over on the day of Passover and other times to drill home to the Israelites, you can't overcome sin yourself. Someone, something has to die in your stead. So all this preparation in the Old Testament showed the Israelites, 
we have a problem. We can't fix it. God has to send a sacrifice. And in the New Testament, in the fullness of time, God sends his son to a world that knows they have a need and that he's the answer. In John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They had been prepared. In the fullness of time, the Israelites realized that a sacrifice needed to be made, and it was Jesus. And that's prophesied back in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6. Here it is. But Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him. By his scourging were healed. So there we are in the fullness of time. God knew when the exact right time to send Jesus into the world to deal with sin. But there's just one other aspect before I move on on this idea of fullness of time. I don't believe God wants to answer our prayers prematurely because I think there's a reason for the wait in our prayers. And I know that drives me nuts, and I'm sure it drives you nuts at times where you're praying and praying and saying, oh, God, how long? Why? the answers have to take so long before they manifest. So what I'm seeing uh, biblically and in my own life is that God matures our character in the waiting seasons. And without the waiting seasons, we wouldn't be able to handle many times God's ultimate plan for our lives. I think that's so clearly showed in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. If you look at uh, chapters 37 through 50, you're going to see a story of a young man who's given a dream. And, you know, you think, okay, God gives him a dream. He's going to be this, this big ruler. So God gives a dream. Why doesn't God just take a wand, wave it, and say, okay, here we go, Joseph, boom, here's the dream. Here's the manifestation. No way. Joseph goes through the ringer and through trials unbelievably, all kind of trials. It's an amazing story. I love this story. But what was God doing? God, I think, was saying to us in this story that Joseph, as a young man, was not ready and prepared and mature enough to be number two man in Egypt. God had to prepare Joseph first. And God prepared Joseph through all kind of trials and tribulations. But in them, Joseph was learning some things. He was learning humility. He was learning to trust God. And to depend on God. He was learning what obedience meant. Uh, he was learning what it meant to be able to love and to forgive, where he had to do that with his brothers. He was learning patience. Folks, we're in a hurry. We want to see God move. We would have had Jesus come right off the bat. When we pray, we'd see Jesus answer those prayers within the day. Many, many times God tarries because he's doing a deeper work. He wants to answer the prayer, but he has to get us ready to do that. I like what somebody said. Uh, a mushroom can pop up overnight, but to have a strong oak, it takes years. So God's not in the business of doing mushrooms. He's trying to make us solid oaks, deeply rooted in Jesus, that as I shared in the beginning, can be able to receive all that Jesus is and has and see that worked out in their life. That's the end game 
That doesn't happen overnight. So in the fullness of time, God is going to do what is exactly right in your life and mine. So I don't know what you're waiting for, <clears throat> but realize God's up to something good in the way. Okay, so we looked at our rich inheritance in Christ. Um, we've looked at here the idea of fullness of time. Let's look at uh, the third point, a son versus a slave mentality. Look again at uh, verse four and five. Well, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Okay? So God redeems us and he saves us from our sins so that we can experience his forgiveness. But friend, hear me, this is so important. One of the, the main points I'm trying to drive home today. This idea of redemption and forgiveness is not the end game of Christianity. Thank God that he forgives us. Thank God. But that is not the ultimate end. God forgives us so that he can restore us back into a relationship with himself. That is the end game. That is the end game that we can become his children. We can become brothers and sisters under the Father. God wants a relationship. He wants a fellowship. That's the whole end game, not just forgiveness of sins, but being forgiven so we can be brought into a right relationship with the Father so we can fellowship with him on a daily, daily basis. Look at verse 6. I like this. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So when, when we give our lives to Christ, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in us, makes us God's children, and the Holy Spirit begins to cry in us, Abba. The word Abba means daddy. It means daddy. It means deep inside me, the spirit cries, I'm a child of God. Daddy, daddy. It speaks of everything of God's love. It speaks of his care. It speaks of his kindness. It speaks of us that he is for us and he's never against us. Abba, daddy. You know, sometimes to be honest, it doesn't feel like God is an Abba and a daddy. Sometimes we go through hard, hard times. I just had an incident yesterday with my daughter, with one of my grandkids who has a developmental problem and was going through, oh, it was a bad day. And I'm praying and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, this doesn't feel good. Doesn't really feel like you're loving because this situation was not a pretty situation. And yet, I think by faith, I need to trust. Okay, Lord, I don't understand why you're allowing this. I know it's painful to the family and to me, but I'm trusting, Lord, that you know what you're doing, even if I don't. So I don't know where you are, folks. You may be going through all kind of hell, some kind of a terrible situation that is stressing you out big time. And it may not seem that God's loving and good, but the Bible is extremely clear. He is loving. He's good 100% of the time. He's never against us. He's always for us. And that's where trust comes in. 
We got to trust in our Abba that he knows best. He knows what's best for you and I. And I just trust, 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 trust. He's proved himself faithful in the past. And I believe he'll bring and prove himself faithful in the future. So we're saved to enter into this relationship, this love relationship and fellowship with our father. But one of the greatest, I believe, misbeliefs of Christians is after they're born again, instead of acting like a child, they go and they act like a slave. Instead of developing this intimate relationship with daddy and Abba, they go about living as if they're an Israelite under all these rules and slavery. So in other words, instead of receiving the father's love freely, they try to earn the father's love, okay? And it's that mindset in us. If I do enough good works, okay, if I read the Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I join enough connect groups, if I serve on the dream team till I drop, maybe if I try that hard, God then will love me. And it's all mixed up and messed up. It's living like a slave. I have to, I have to, I have to, instead of I want to, I want to, I want to. And Paul plays that out in verses 9 and 11 about this law mentality, not living out a relationship, but as a Christian, I got to do this. I got to do that. Look at 9. But now that you've come to know God or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. And then he goes in verse 21, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bomb woman, one by the free woman. But the son by the bomb woman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. So basically, what he's saying uh, is there's two sons. Abraham couldn't get Sarah pregnant. So he said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll agree with you, Sarah. I'll go into your maid, Hagar. So there came a child, Ishmael, when Abraham, in a sense, tried hard to have a kid through Hagar. The other uh, is the child that was born through Sarah, naturally, although it took many, many years. And what Paul's trying to drive home, there's two principles. Hagar speaks of human effort. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make, I'm trying harder. I will get it to happen if it kills me. And that's Hagar. Uh, and then uh, the other child uh, that is born naturally, uh, Isaac, is born basically by trusting the promise that God would give Abraham a son. So he says there's two ways of looking at it. It's law, try, 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 or it's by trust, trusting God. So Mount Sinai represents the law. Come on, Christian, try harder. Try harder to be a good Christian. Try, try, try. And Jerusalem, he talks about, it's not trying, it's trusting. So there's a, a challenge I guess I would lift to you. Now that you've made a commitment to Christ, are you living as a son or as a slave? 
is your primary mindset as a Christian. Lord, I love you. You're the pearl of great price. I want to develop a deep walk in intimacy with you. I want to know you more. I want to show you more. Is that your mindset or is your mindset, uh-oh, got to be a good Christian today. I got to do this. I better read my Bible. I better check the soap. Check, 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 check. Oh, I better pray because if I don't, I'm not a good Christian. And you know, if I try hard, maybe God will really love me more. So I'm going to sign up for three connect groups and I'm going to be a dream teamer and serve many, many days. Which is your mindset? Are we living as a son in relationship or are we living as a slave under a list of rules? Okay, uh, getting here to the end number four. Real love tells the truth. Real love tells the truth. If you look at verse 11, Paul is uh, getting frustrated with these people because instead of living free as a son, they're, they're going back into the mentality of being an Israelite. And he says this, in 411, I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. Like, what's going on? You guys are backsliding. And then he does something uh, more. He says, uh, 16, have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Do you think I'm an enemy because I'm, I'm confronting you with this situation? Verse 20, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I'm perplexed about you. His tone was like, oh, my word. If you've ever got frustrated with a child, you almost want to look at him and shake him a little bit, look him in the eyeball and say, what are you doing? And Paul is like, he's being straight. He's saying, I'm upset with you guys. You're off track and I'm going to confront you about it. Because if I don't, you're going to be stunted in your walk with Christ. So I think many times we can be afraid to confront a friend or a relative and if I look at myself, why am I afraid? I'm afraid because somebody's going to reject me. They're not going to like me if I, if I tell the truth to them. The problem is so often we as Christians can become people pleasers. That's my game plan. I, I got to keep everybody happy. I don't want anybody to be upset me. So I'm just going to just make everybody happy. We can be a people pleaser or a God pleaser. Big thing. You can't please both many times. So I think what Paul is saying, we have to have the guts to be honest. And the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speak the truth in love. And we're to grow up all, grow up into all aspects into Christ. Speak the truth in love. I know some people that, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. Here it is. Boom. Like a, a, a shotgun. Yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Here's the truth. Boom. No, that's not the way to go. We're not just to lay out the truth. And, and just bang somebody over the head with it. Yeah, we speak the truth, but we speak it with love. We speak it with tenderness. We speak it with compassion. So it's both having a compassionate heart, but having the guts to tell it like it is. And I tell you, a person to me that demonstrates that so well is Jesus. He could, he could take little kids in his arms and bless them. He could be gentle he could be kind, but boy, if he needed to tell the truth in love, he could. He went to the Pharisees, and he said, you know what? You're a whitewashed tombstone. I'm sure that went over big. He also, at times, would confront the Pharisees and say, guess what? You're a snake. Now, I don't know if I'd appreciate being told that I'm a snake. And you might say, well, why did Jesus do that? That was, I believe, Jesus' way of trying to get the attention of the Pharisees. He tried everything he could, I believe, in kindness to reach them. 
They heard his teachings, they saw his miracles, and yet they hardened their hearts. And I think the telling the truth in love was his last-ditch effort to take them and shake them and say, you're a whitewashed tombstone, you're a snake, because he's trying to get them to see, don't you get it? But instead of listening to his rebuke, which really, that was the loving way at the end to try to get their attention, they turn them off. So there's a challenge for you and I. Um, don't just be a people pleaser. If there's the spirit nudges you at times to, to go to somebody and in love say, hey, I see you're off base. I want to speak to you because I'm concerned. I'm not putting you down. But if you, if you keep doing this, you keep cheating on your income tax, you keep living together before you're married, it's not going to be for your benefit. People may not want to hear it, but if we love them enough, we'll tell the truth. And the last one, uh, is Christ being formed in us? I love this verse. It's Galatians chapter 4, 19. My children. Paul has this amazing warmth and a, just connection with the people that he had brought to Christ. He saw them like, in a sense, they're, they're my kids. He says, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul saying, uh, he's using this image of childbirth. And if you've ever been there, I know with my three children, I was there when Barb was delivering them. Um, labor isn't fun. Many times I've been uh, telling Barb and uh, anybody else, I'm glad I'm a man. Ladies, God bless you. It isn't a piece of cake to have a baby. Labor is tough. And Paul says, I'm in labor. He says, I, I feel these labor, I am so disturbed and upset because Galatians, you're getting sidetracked. You're not living in relationship with Jesus. You're going back to this list of rules in the Old Testament. You're all, you're sidetracked. He says, I'm in labor till Christ be formed in you. That is the end game. That is the end game. Let me say it again and again and again. The end game of a Christian is that Christ would be formed in you. It says this in Romans 8, 29. For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the end game. That's what God's looking for. He's looking that when he sees you, he sees Jesus shining out through you. That's the end game. So think about this. When you're born again, when you give your life to Christ, Christ comes to literally live on the inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The problem is there are a number of Christians, I think I can say this honestly, that can live their entire Christian life after they're born again, A, not knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in them. Literally, there are Christians that have no clue that the Holy Spirit's inside, or he's inside but he's never recognized. He's ignored. It's almost like the Holy Spirit sitting inside and he's all tied up and his hands are tied because we never interact with him. So he just sits there dormant. And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, I'm praying that Christ would be formed in you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would have such a liberty in you that he would fill you with the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5.18, it's a very powerful verse. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says this, be filled with the Spirit. 
And if you look at the actual, actual Greek tense, it would be be being filled moment by moment by moment by moment. Being filled with the Spirit means turn them loose. Don't lock the Holy Spirit away. Don't put handcuffs on him. Give him an ability and the freedom to work in and through your life. Yield to him. Let him have full control. That's what I hear Paul saying. Oh, Christians, don't lock him away. Don't stash Jesus deep down. Let Jesus free. And how do we do that? By yielding to the Holy Spirit moment by moment. So what's the end game? The end game is that when people would see you and I, they would see Jesus shining through our face. They would see and hear Jesus speaking through our lips. They would see Jesus working through our lives. They would hear Jesus praying through our prayers. There's a true story, and I'll wrap up here, of Mother Teresa. And somebody was visiting her. And when they came in her presence, they said it, it was like an unbelievable experience because they sensed the presence of Jesus so, so powerfully. Because this lady had been so intimate with Jesus over the years. She had yielded so much of her life that to come into the presence of Mother Teresa was to come into the presence of Jesus. So that would be a prayer for you and I, that we would be so open to the Holy Spirit, so yielded to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit could do his job. And his job is to make Jesus real to us and to make Jesus real through us. Wow. When that happens, things change. So here we go. Just real quick review. So number one, you have a rich inheritance. Oh, folks, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. By the grace of God, learn to unpack those. Realize in the fullness of time, God will answer your prayers. But in the meantime, he's doing something in you that's important. And three, live as a son, not as a slave. Live out of relationship versus living out of a list of rules. And four, tell the truth in love. Tell the truth in love when you see someone that needs to hear it. And five, let Christ have a full sway in your life so that when people encounter you, they encounter the living Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for Galatians chapter four. Lord, it is such a rich chapter. Oh, Lord. Uh, Lord, we've looked at it. Um, in a sense, intellectually, a lot of points have been lifted up. But Lord, I pray that you'd breathe upon Galatians 4. Just breathe upon these points, Lord. Holy Spirit, unpack to us the amazing inheritance that in Christ we have everything we need. Lord, I just pray you'd give us grace to trust you, Lord, when we're on a waiting mode, that you're always up to something good. Lord, help us to live out of a relationship, out of uh, the ability to say Abba versus Lord, a list of rules of do's and don'ts, Lord. Help us to experience that we are your sons, we are your daughters. Lord, give us the guts through the Holy Spirit to, to tell the truth because sometimes we dodge that because we don't want to be rejected. Lord, give us the ability to love enough to be willing to be rejected. And Lord, 
we just really pray this last thing, that you would be formed in us. Lord, I pray that for each of my brothers and sisters on the screen. Lord, that you would be formed in each and every one, Lord, so that when people encounter us, Lord, they encounter you, the living, resurrected Christ. So, Father, we thank you. We commit the day to you, and we thank you for the good things you're going to do in us and the good things you're going to do through us. And it's in your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.